Welcome everyone to tonight's Dharma Talk. I hope everyone had a nice Easter yesterday. Um, I enjoy the uh, American holiday of Easter, and I hope you did too, with lots of uh, good food and uh, chocolate, and uh, maybe a deviled egg or two. And uh, I just wanted to say that, you know, it's interesting when we look at the different seasons that we go through each year, how each of the faith traditions of the world uh, seem to have services or liturgical observations. And of course we have Christians observe Easter as a spiritual holiday. There is Passover uh, with the Jewish tradition, Ramadan with the Islamic. And with our own, we will be celebrating Hanumatsuri, our 23rd annual Hanumatsuri. And we're going back to our roots a little bit this time. Uh, we're going to be having the event at the Fort Hunter Barn in Harrisburg. Now, some of you have been with me long enough, going back about 20 years, that's one of the places that we began with. So uh, it's going to be really fun to go back there and uh, celebrate that event. Tonight's talk is based on a reading which is actually a song and it's a song that was written and composed by Steven Seagal. Now some of you may only know Steven Seagal as an actor in action films but he is also a uh, martial artist and also a Buddhist teacher. And so he put out an album, and he's also a very accomplished musician and writer, and he put out an album uh, some years back, oh my, going back maybe 16 years, and I just really love the album. But there's a song on there that really fits with the uh, title of our talk tonight. And the title of our talk tonight is, Why Do We Resist Resolving Our Problems and Seem to Stay Stuck in Our Conditioned Ruts? Why does that seem to be the case? So here is the reading from the song by Steven Seagal, The Long Way Around. People will always take the long way around. Before you know it, you'll be lost and found, living in sunshine with the shades pulled down. People will always take the long way around. Living in sunshine with the shades pulled down, people will always take the long way around. And there's uh, about four other paragraphs that are really good in this song, but a little too long to read the whole thing. And I don't know if any of you watching today or tonight uh, would have been at my mountain seat ceremony, which is the ceremony where we, you know, uh, sort of establish the rector of a new center temple. But a good dear friend of mine that I met when I was a chaplain at Hershey Medical Center, who is a, uh, a Baptist minister, uh, sang this song for me. And it was, it was quite beautiful. Something I will never forget. So, why do we take the long way around? 
And this is a question that I often get asked from two perspectives. One is from the point of view of a person who maybe I have counseled with in the past. And maybe I haven't seen them for a while and they've been doing well. And then something comes along in life as it does and they get hooked really bad. And so they, they email me or call me up and say, hey, can, can we get together? And one of the questions that comes out of that sort of setting is they'll say to me, why is this still bothering me? You know, I thought I put it all behind me and yet here it is again. So that's one area that it comes from. The other area is more philosophical. Well, people ask me, well, what's the Buddhist path about? Is it a path where, you know, you start here and then you keep going and keep going and keep going. At some point you get to here and nothing troubles you anymore. Or you don't experience any more pain. And so my response to them is that moving out of a place of suffering, that is possible. And I do believe that it's possible that someone might get to a point in their life where they don't really suffer. However, if we're going to say that, we have to say that from the perspective that we distinguish the difference between pain and suffering. Because as long as we're alive, we're going to experience pain. But suffering is the story or the narrative that we project onto the pain. And I do believe that while getting hooked <laughs> is something that we, we may never be free of as long as we're in this body, in this world. I do believe we can get to a place where if we don't completely eradicate suffering, we minimize it greatly. But it's important to distinguish between pain and suffering because pain can be both physical and it can be emotional. So physical and emotional pain is not something that the Dharma removes. And, and we wouldn't want that, really. I know sometimes when we're in great pain, we do wish that maybe in that moment. But the reality is, if that somehow you could magically remove the pain in your life, you wouldn't be the same person. And as I've often said to folks, if pain is the price I pay, for loving much, then I would rather experience that pain than not know that love and that intimacy. And so that's the trade-off. But suffering is different. Suffering is a distorted, neurotic projection that we place on our pain. And that we can be free from. That we don't have to continue with. But pain, pain is something that I think we need to be human. We need to be alive.
I once said at a retreat that um, there's this line that I, I said and one of my students actually made a, a poster of it and had it laminated and did a, did a painting around it. And uh, I said that pain is like good wasabi. <laughs> it somehow enhances the flavor of life and also purifies it and is also sometimes difficult to swallow. But I don't want anyone to take away my pain. I've, you know, gone through painful experiences in my life. And I don't want anyone to take away my pain. My pain is part of what makes me human. But suffering, that I'm ready to get rid of. <laughs> and that I practice every day, removing. So I think I just wanted to clarify that first. Because I think it comes, helps come to a, a more better understanding of our original question. Like, why does it seem like I go the long way around? Why does it seem that I keep repeating things? And early in the uh, Buddhist sutras, the Shakyamuni is uh, teaching that our practice is sort of a spiral experience. That it's not like, you know, we go from point A to point B. But rather, it's a spiral experience. And I think what the Buddha meant by this is that we go through these cycles in our life. We go through these different stages, these different experiences. And each time we go through them, if we are on the path of practice, if we are sincerely on the path of practice, we go through these spirals and and we repeat certain seasons. And, you know, it's just like the way that in our Book of Common Meditation, we, we celebrate the different seasons that we experience. And each season, as we go through them again, gives us a new opportunity within the spiral of that year to experience an even greater freedom from suffering. And I know I had this experience where I was moving some stuff, some furniture one time. And I haven't done this for a while, but there was a, there was a long period of time early in my practice that I kept a journal. And I would write down my personal koans, the, the things that I would take through the four questions. And I remember moving some furniture and I found one of those journals that I hadn't really looked at in a long time. So when I had a moment, I, I sat down and I opened it up and went through it. Wow. There were so many, so many things that came up as I read the reflections of this man who was me. And I say that purposely, who was me. And the first thing I felt was compassion I, and, and, and sympathy, actually. I felt bad for this poor bastard. <laughs> I felt bad for that dude. Because, you know, he, he was going through a lot of stuff. But the other thing I felt was, 
Like, I didn't know that person anymore. Like, the, the things he was struggling with, the way he was expressing himself, that's just not me anymore. I just don't know it anymore. And so that revealed to me that in the spiral of my practice over these many years, that I have changed, that I'm not the same person that I used to be. I certainly don't suffer like I did. In pain, yeah, I go through pain. I have emotional pain. I have things that hook me. But I know what to do with it. I never feel like I don't know what to do. But, and maybe this is to the title of our sermon or homily or Dharma talk, whatever one makes you feel better. There is a resistance in us. Like one of the things I've noticed is that when I get hooked, there's a resistance in me, quite unconsciously that comes up, that doesn't really want to solve the problem. <laughs> and, and, and it's tricky because I think when something really hooks you, there are three processes that one ought to do if one wants to be free of it and one wants to change the way they're feeling and, and, and have some kind of creative experimental action they can take from the insight. And the first is to sit with it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, just like in our one form of meditation, you know, observation practice, moksu, you know, we want to be with it without doing anything about it. And I think that's good. We just let it be. But here's the thing. You can't do that very long. In fact, that might be okay for a few hours or maybe even for a period of meditation. But once that has passed, then you've got to move into the next two. Because if you don't, all you will do is find that you begin to get more deeply troubled. And you don't get better from just sitting with it. And that's a sort of an illusion that sometimes even Buddhist practitioners can be sort of fooled by, especially if they come from a Buddhist school that really emphasizes a lot of sitting meditation. Sometimes the answer to everything is go sit with it. But the reality is that that won't change it. I remember once a woman came to me who had spent many, many years as a monastic at a very, very famous monastery retreat out in California. And she sat with many well-known teachers in the Buddhist world. And her biggest problem was anger. And I don't just mean get a little ticked off, but going into rage. And she told me that after 10 years of going to some of these teachers and her being told 
just sit with it. She sat in my office in front of me and said, I'm still as pissed off as I ever was. <laughs> so it doesn't work. I am happy to say that I was help, able to help her to find less anger in her life. But just sitting won't do it. But it, it might be good in the beginning because, you know, sometimes we get really hooked by something. It's kind of a shock to the system. And so sometimes, you know, instead of reacting to it, we need to just be with it. But we need to keep that very short amount of time. The other thing that we can do, and this can be helpful as long as we do the third part. If we don't do the third part, the first two really won't help us. That's very important. The second part is maybe to talk to someone about it. Maybe to get it off your chest. There's a certain sort of catharsis that can occur when you get it out of your head and you speak it. And you know how we always use the number of 1 to 10 to sort of discern how strong something is. And we do that as a way of bringing the left and right hemispheres into oneness. If the number is 5 or under, sitting with it and just talking about it might actually be enough. But if it's over 5, it will not be. And you will just end up with a pervasive pain. So, yes, it can be good to talk about it. It can be good to get something out of, out of your head and out of, off your chest. But if that's all you're doing, then you just begin to ruminate about it. And that actually will make it worse. So what's the third thing? In our school, it is the four questions. And, in, and unless you do something like the four questions, it won't change. And so I can't emphasize enough, do the four questions. Do the four questions. Do the four questions. Because <laughs> I can tell you from my experience, as soon as I do the four questions, there's a shift, there's an insight, and I feel better. And then there's even some kind of action I can take that will even... And this spiral of my practice, as Shakyamuni spoke of, I get even stronger and freer. But boy, even I have that unconscious thing that comes up. That, eh, let's not be free of it. Let's wallow in it for a while. And why do we do that? Well, we do that because our ego self knows nothing else. Our ego self, which developed through five stages of conditioning early on in our life, and then goes out into the world, that part of us, which was developed mostly when we were children, that part of us only knows that way. And so when we encounter a problem, we encounter a situation, and we resist being free from it, it's because the ego self doesn't really know any other way. For the ego self, it's better the devil you know. 
And it really doesn't understand that I don't have to do this anymore. And when we, we reconnect to our true selves and we orient ourselves from that perspective, then we can compassionately let our true self, our big mind, take care of our little self, our little mind. And you know what? Even I, as a teacher, low these many years, almost four score, even I have an ego self that resists it. And that's why we need each other. That's why, yes, you can practice by yourself. Yes, you need no one else to take refuge in your true self. But we need each other as Sangha in order to keep ourselves on that path of freedom. And if we don't have others, there's a good chance we're going to waste a lot more time. And so that's why I emphasize over and over again the importance of Sangha. Because it is my Sangha that when I am perplexed by a pernicious problem, it is my Sangha that encourages me to do what I need to do. To do the four questions, to free myself. And so we need each other. Even Sensei needs his song. So that's why we go the long way around. That's why we often find ourselves, as I said, stuck in the same condition ruts. It's because the ego self doesn't know any better. But that's why we can't let the ego self be in charge of our lives. It did the best it could and it helped us survive, but that's it. And now we live to let it, let it be free. Give it a break. I call it Big Tony and Little Tony. Give Little Tony a break. Let Big Tony take over. And finally, I will say as a pitch for Hanamatsuri, if you don't have a spiritual community, then consider making our Sangha your spiritual home. Because I can promise you, if you commit to us, we will help you in ways you cannot imagine. And we need each other. So, if you haven't joined a spiritual community, or you're looking for one, or you realize you need one, please, Reach out to us. We're here to help.